Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood at Christmas. Hello, and welcome back to a Christmas-themed special edition of the podcast which isn't afraid to celebrate growing up in the 1970s, where life was very different than today, and where TV played a central part in our and our nation's life. As usual, thanks for all your comments and feedback. I really enjoy hearing from you, and I'm so pleased that my trips back in time are bringing back so many happy memories. My generation, who grew up in the 1970s, have got a great story to tell, so I'm proud to help tell it. I'd really like to hear from you, and you can share your thoughts by visiting our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweeting me at 70stvchildhood, or emailing me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. So what was Christmas like as a child growing up in 1970s Britain? Ross, our guest on the Sporting Life episode, remembers. It was a very happy time, simpler time. I remember things as as everyone does about Christmas as well, being a magical time, uh, having the evil Knievel toy. I was lucky to get one of those and believe me, they were hard to come by. I could never get one. It's that and Stretch Armstrong. I never had a Stretch Armstrong either. (laughs) Well, the evil Knievel and what he could do if you wound him up tight enough was amazing. So, yeah, it was happy, happy memories. When I look back to my childhood Christmases, I think there are three things which stand out in my memories. Spending time with the extended family, the whole industry around Christmas presents, including what you wanted, what you actually got, and those things which were on your list but never quite made it into your stocking. And the third thing I remember is Christmas television. The broadcasters pulled out all the stops for the viewing public, and regularly, some of the highest viewing figures of the decade were clocked up over the festive period. Thinking a bit more about these three things, our family was a bit unusual, in that my father, a CV clergyman, worked over the Christmas period. So our grandparents always came to our house for Christmas, rather than us packing up and going elsewhere. I remember that they arrived on the afternoon of Christmas Eve, usually in time to take my sister and me to the Christmas Eve's crib service in church, and then we'd retreat home and warm up in front of the fire, which wasn't normally used due to the central heating being very efficient. Once all the grandparents had assembled, my father would then begin the annual ritual of asking them all whether they wanted a drink. It was normally gin and tonics all round, with the exception of my paternal grandmother, known as Grandma, who took the opportunity to have her annual treat of a baby sham, which at the time was the height of sophistication. My maternal grandmother, known as Granny, to distinguish her from Grandma, obviously, always demurred on having a drink and would refuse a number of times, and then, just as my father was easing himself into an armchair, would pipe up, Oh, go on then, I will have a drink. Gin and tonic, please, Jock, which is my father's name. This ritual was repeated annually, to the point where my sister and I 
would be waiting for the inevitable conclusion which forced my father to stand up and go back to the drinks cabinet. My grandparents would stay for two or three days and then depart. And we saw the rest of the family on New Year's Day, when one of my uncles or aunts would host a get-together of our wider family, meeting sometime with my cousins. These were generally fun family gatherings, with lots of laughter, games and good humour. With my uncle Brian prone to challenging younger members of the family to press-up competitions or arm wrestles, which he invariably won. One year, one of my cousins brought along the brand new sensation of Pong, one of the first video games, and we all took turns to be mesmerised by bips and bops of the game, which for those who don't remember it, was a very rudimentary version of tennis. But at the time, a technological marvel nonetheless. Which brings me nicely on to presents. As I've mentioned in an earlier episode, Christmas preparations went on a pace at primary school, including writing to Father Christmas and drawing up the all-important present list. As we heard from Ross earlier, you won some and you lost some. I never did get an evil Knievel, but I do remember getting some fantastic presents. So here's my top three. Like many little boys, I had a strange idea of what war was like and found military things very exciting largely based on what I'd seen on the television. So one of my best ever Christmas presents was Action Man. For those who weren't around then, Action Man was the ultimate boys' toy. My first Action Man was a straightforward soldier, but I soon added to my collection of uniforms and equipment to the point where I was saving almost all of my pocket money to get the next item. What stood out was the quality and accuracy of all of the uniforms and equipment They really were authentic replicas of World War II and later military dress and equipment, and we loved it for that. Unfortunately, I didn't ever get the Action Man paratrooper set, but decided to reproduce that by using a hanky and throwing him out of an upper floor window to test whether the hanky made a good parachute. As you can probably imagine, it didn't, and my Action Man lost a hand as a result, for which I then invented a backstory of heroic proportions to explain the loss. I got a second action man a couple of years later, and this one had, wait for it, gripping hands, so it was able to grip some of the weapons better. Later versions also had eagle eyes, which shifted from side to side, but by that point, I'd moved on to other things. Second in my top three was my train set. On Christmas morning 1975, I woke up to find a note left by Father Christmas, telling me to go downstairs to the living room. Intrigued, I went down to find a huge Hornby layout on the carpet, with two trains of various stations, signals and tunnels. Needless to say, I was delighted beyond words, and spent the next few days doing nothing else but playing with my new set. Thinking about it now, I can feel the joy of that moment, all of these years later. My final top toy was one I got for Christmas in 1977. Christmas 1976 being a complete write-off as far as I was concerned, as I had glandular fever over the Christmas holidays and only managed to spend about 10 minutes out of bed on Christmas Day itself. In 1977, I had badgered my parents for months for this 
and when it finally arrived on Christmas morning, I was so excited that I was out of bed about 2am to unwrap it. What was it, I hear you ask, that caused such excitement? Well, it was the flick-to-kick sensation referenced in the undertones, my perfect cousin, Subutio. And not only Subutio, but the jewel in the Subutio crown, the stadium edition which included not only three teams, but also floodlights, a scoreboard, pitch fencing, and even a grandstand with little spectators inside. This was the ultimate present for a 10-year-old football fan and began months of league competitions and exciting cup dramas to be played out on the Green Bays. There are plenty of others which could have made the top three, like Slinky, Spirograph, and of course, the incomparable Lego. But I do have to draw a line somewhere. There were also the ones that got away. As well as Evil Knievel, I remember being obsessed with the game Mousetrap, largely due to the incessant advertising of it on the TV. But my mother thought it looked cheap and not very exciting. When I finally got to play the game at a friend's house who had got it for Christmas, I found out the terrible truth. My mother was right. It was rubbish. And so on to 1970s Christmas television. In our house, we knew Christmas wasn't far away when the double issues of the Radio Times and TV Times appeared. For legal reasons in those days, Each broadcast was not allowed to list the other's programmes, so the viewer had to buy two TV guides. Bizarre when you look back now. We never had TV guides at any other time of the year, so this was a special treat, and all the family would look through to find their own particular highlights and plan to watch them. However, this also caused problems, as, don't forget, there were no video recorders for much of the 70s, so families would have to agree what they were going to watch. And there were regular reports on TV, radio and in the newspapers across the country of family punch-ups, usually fuelled by drink, caused by arguments over who wanted to watch what programme on Christmas Day. So what marvellous programming caused such passionate and violent reactions? Well, I'm lucky enough to have got hold of both the Radio and TV Times double editions for 1975. So shall we take a look and see what all the fuss is about? So, let's have a look. Let's have a look at the Radio Times first. The Radio Times, for those who don't remember, only dealt with BBC programmes. So let's start on Christmas Eve, Wednesday the 24th of December 1975. Right, so programmes began with Teddy Edward, read by Richard Baker. That was very nice. The Mr. Men. Mr. Happy, told by Arthur Lowe. Very good. Ah, the Banana Splits were on at nine o'clock. Yet again, it says here that it's a repeat. And if you remember back to our previous episode dealing with the Banana Splits, I think they were on every Christmas, every Easter, and every summer. That was followed by Before the Ark, part three of eight, a detective story. Hmm. I don't remember that. Oh, five past ten. The Engineer Through the Looking Glass. Ah, the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures. 
So television in those days wasn't just entertainment, it was also very educational. And I always remember them watching these lectures, trying my best to be interested and to understand them. But they, they generally were very scientific. And being a sort of non-scientific type, I often had to pretend liking them rather than enjoying them myself. What else have we got? Oh, 11.40. We've got Holiday Star Trek, Operation Annihilate. Well, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. What's what's happening here? The Enterprise crew attempts to stop a plague of amoeba-like creatures from possessing human hosts and spreading throughout the galaxy. Hmm. Definitely not very Christmassy. Let's turn the page here. What else have we got? Foghorn Leghorn, Laurel and Hardy, Pebble Mill's Christmas Special with guests Roy Hudd, Stan Mordman, and the Howarth Brass Band. That sounds like a treat. Five Past Two, film Jumbo, starring Doris Day and Stephen Boyd. Do you know, that one's passed me by. Obviously, I know who Doris Day is, but I'm afraid, Stephen, I don't remember you at all. That was followed by Bugs Bunny, Jack Wabbit and the Beanstalk. Okay. Oh, and then a treat at 4.15. The Crackerjack Pantomime, Robinson Crusoe. For those of you that don't remember, Crackerjack was a feature of Friday Afternoons. And this one, the pantomime, starring Don McLean, Peter Glaze, Jan Hunt, and Ed Stewart, with special guests Windsor Davies, Don Estelle, John Inman, and John Laurie. Just to put that into perspective, the Crackerjack pantomime could command the stars of some of the most popular television programmes on television. Windsor Davis and Don Estelle of the then popular It Ain't Half Hot Mum, John Inman from Are You Being Served, as referenced in one of our earlier episodes, and John Laurie, the lugubrious undertaker, Private Fraser, from Dad's Army, with the famous catchphrase, We're all doomed. So that must have been exciting. I'm afraid I don't remember it. More Tom and Jerry cartoons, and then 5.45, the Jim will fix it Christmas special with Jimmy Savile OBE. His name does keep cropping up in our reminiscences of the 1970s. A Walt Disney film was on after that, followed by the Dick Emery Christmas show, Porridge, and Kojak, A Question of Answers, a special full-length film for Christmas Eve, starring Telly Savalas. And then at 11 o'clock, Andre Previn's Christmas Music Night. So, before he'd appeared on the... uh, Morgan Wise Christmas show, Andre was giving his own show on Christmas Eve. Hmm. All very good. And rounding off with Midnight Mass and the Nativity from St. Eugene's Cathedral in the Diocese of Derry. Yeah. Let's have a look. Because we also have BBC T2 to continue. Hmm. BBC Two appears to be mostly Carols from Kings, Ceremony of Nine Lessons and Carols. But then most of the evening appears to be given to opera which uh, I certainly wouldn't have been watching as uh, an eight-year-old in 1975. Uh, Rounding off with the the old grey whistle test. Mm. And then beat the devil. Very interesting. Well, let's let's just lay that to one side and see what the competition was like for Christmas Eve on ITV. So let's have a look. ITV, where are we? Okay, so ITV. Well, the morning has a number of cartoons and films. Oh, and then at 12 o'clock, we've got The Adventures of Rupert Bear, one of my favourites. Great theme tune as well. Rupert and the Lonely Pillar Box. That sounds nice. 
followed by the Rainbow Christmas Special, Christmas Present Wrapping. Oh, and then 12.30, Derek Beatty hosts the Mr. and Mrs. Christmas Party. I do remember Mr. and Mrs. You have these lovely old couples who come on and fail to answer questions about their respective husband or wife. Um, and then those that managed to actually did do get through, they'd win £10 in a carriage clock, I seem to remember. But it was lovely stuff. Then in the afternoon, we've got Miracle with 34th Street, followed by General Hospital. Oh, and then at 4.15, Sooty Christmas Show. I loved Sooty. He's so, such an innocent bear. And him and Sweep and Sue, oh, lots of happy memories there. Followed by The Little Match Girl, The Tragic Story, this time a cartoon version. And then Out of Town with Jack Hargreaves, who most of you will remember from How, with his pipe and beard. And that's about all I can remember. Other things, we've got Crossroads, followed by This Is Your Life, and Coronation Street. Oh, and here's a treat at eight o'clock. Merry Christmas, Fred, from the Crosbys. A special tribute to Fred Astaire from the whole of the Crosby family. Well, thanks, Bink. I'm sure that Fred really enjoyed having you over for the holidays, as I'm sure you were called. So that's about it for uh, Christmas TV. Let's let's go back to the Radio Times and see what it was actually on on the, the big day itself. So let's see. Oops. Thursday, the 25th of December, 1975. In the morning, we've got some cartoons. We've got Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the Christmas story told in carols. That's nice. Christmas morning service from St. George's Chapel, Windsor. Followed by a Rod Hull and Emu Christmas special, Sing a Christmas Song. A bit more Laurel and Hardy. And then at 1.20, we've got Holiday on Ice, your annual ringside seat at one of the world's most spectacular touring ice extravaganzas. Surely I wasn't the only one that found this extremely tedious and tiresome and probably one of the worst things ever on television. Why they had to have all these dancers on ice, as opposed to just having on the stage, I could never understand. But anyway, then on to one of the highlights of Christmas Day for many families. 2.10, Top of the Pops. Introduced by Tony Blackburn and Noel Edmonds. The Christmas edition of the Top of the Pops was the one to watch. And I remember in our house, my sister managed to persuade my parents to let us watch the TV just before the Queen, just so we could watch who was going to be top of the Christmas Pops. At three o'clock, the Queen talking to the Commonwealth, followed by an hour of Billy Smart's Christmas Circus. I never quite got the circus particularly the clowns. I'm not surely the only one listening who really just doesn't find clowns funny. But anyway, on to the next programme. The Wizard of Oz. Good traditional blockbuster film. Then we move on to the evening programmes where we've got Bruce Forsyth and the Generation Game with Anthea Redford. And then the Sun Mothers Do Have Christmas Special. You know, I just have to hear that whistling and I've got a mixture of excitement that there's going to be a funny programme on, but also starting to cringe because I used to feel for Frank Spencer, feel the embarrassment of all the messes that he used to get himself into and just think, please, please don't do that. And then the jewel of the Christmas crown at 7.40, the Morecambe and Wise Christmas show. Special guests, the late departed 
Diana Rigg and the late departed Des O'Connor, Gordon Jackson, Diane Solomon, Robin Day, and Brenda Arnor. And then we had Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as the big movie, and wrapping up with a special Christmas edition of The Good Old Days from the stage of the City Varieties Theatre in Leeds. Well, that sounds like some good good quality entertainment. I wonder what ITV had as, as a competition. Let me just uh, grab hold of TV Times again. So what was on ITV? Okay, started off with Rainbow again. Service from Lus Parish Church, Loch Lomond. Very nice. A Merry Morning from Luke's Hospital, Bradford. Yeah, there are lots of TV programmes seem to come from hospitals on Christmas Day, featuring Rolf Harris, another name that keeps cropping up in our reminiscences. Oh, two o'clock, we've got Chipperfield's Christmas Circus. What is it about circuses and Christmas? Um, with guest ringmaster Roy Hood. Well done, Roy. After the Queen, we've got Leslie Phillips, Harry Seacombe, Robert Morley and James Robertson Justice in Doctor in Trouble. Hmm. And then at 5.20, we've got the Bay City Rollers Christmas Show with special guest old Gilbert O'Sullivan. What a combination. Christmas Celebrity Squares with Bob Bunkhouse comes on at 6.20, followed by Crossroads, and then gets them in. A Christmas edition of the hilarious comedy based on national service in the RAF, which, interestingly, my father, who did do his national service in the RAF, didn't find amusing in the least. And then at eight o'clock, ah, we've got the Love Thy Neighbour Christmas special. Right, let's have a look what's going on here. Christmas spirit. Eddie, played by Jack Smethurst, Jacko and Arthur have a meeting to choose their captain for the darts team Christmas tournament. And Bill, the excellent Rudolph Walker, also puts his name forward. So they decide who's going to be captain by holding a drinking competition after which Eddie falls asleep on the couch and has a dream where they're all on a desert island where Bill is king and Eddie is dinner. Okay, I think, I think I'll think i leave that one there and move on. After Love Thy Neighbour, oh, The Taming of the Shrew, starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton is the big movie. That's very, um, that's very educational. And we finish off with Beneath the Christmas Tree with Sir Geraint Evans. Presuming that's more singing going on there. So, so that was it. And listening to what was on now, you may think, what a terrible selection. But for many families at the time, sitting down and watching television at Christmas was part of their family tradition. Whether it was just watching the Queen's Christmas Message, Top of the Pops, or the Morecambe Wise Christmas Show, these programmes became regular features. It's hard to imagine now, but 27 million of us watched Morecambe and Wise in 1977 on Christmas Day. That's a huge common history and experience. And I think things like that just don't happen anymore. Well, that's it for our Christmas special. And for this year, actually, as we're going to be taking a short break and we'll be back in January with more guests, more features, and of course, more memories. Let me know if there's anything you'd like to see featured in future episodes by going to our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet me at 70stvchildhood or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. So finally, I hope that you and those you love have a happy Christmas, stay safe, 
And let's hope that 2021 is a happy and healthy year for all of us. See you next year for more from My 70s TV Childhood.